0: When you don't draw iron, Simmons, an open three, air ball, they just don't have any touch. This is Broken Jumper, a weekly NBA podcast hosted by the voice of AM 570 LA Sports, Bob Schmidt. Me, Bob Schmidt. What a narcissistic buffoon he is. Like and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. And now, is this basketball? Broken Jumper. Welcome to the Broken Jumper podcast. I am your host, Bob Schmidt. This was my sort of weekly podcast. I hope to get back to that. But let's not focus on the negative. It's a week to be thankful. Thanksgiving week. I, Bob Schmidt, the voice of AM 570 LA Sports, am thankful for you, for giving me for my early season zest for Cleveland Cavaliers basketball. Now, I question my decision on a weekly basis as to why I thought I could sustain Two podcasts simultaneously. One, "Fear the Fro, mostly about Cleveland Cavalier basketball. And this one, Broken Jumper, supposed to be more of a league-wide look. Problem has been, the Cavs came out of the gate on fire. Nine and five early on, threatening to compete for first in the East for a moment until that fateful day they played the Wizards. And then all the injuries started to pile up. Now Colin Sexton out for the year. Starting to get healthy again, but they're 9-9, playing 500 basketball on a four-game skid with a brutal schedule ahead of them. So what better time than now to mute some of that Cavalier enthusiasm and channel my efforts into Broken Jumper? Because there's far more exciting stories happening league-wide than watching my hopes be destroyed. To the league, almost 20 games in, hovering around 18 games For most teams, that's nearly a quarter of the season. And at this point, we can draw some meaningful conclusions and look at some positive, optimistic things to be thankful for and some things that are extremely troubling. Let's begin by calling your Broken Jumper host to the mat on some horrific preseason predictions that are already seemingly blowing up in my face. Now, I'm going to say this now. Because Jaron Jackson Jr. is perhaps coming off of his best game of the season. But in the last podcast I did, I believe we handicapped who some of my dark horse favorites were. I said I like Jaron Jackson Jr. to be a contender for most improved player at the end of the year. And that if things from the preseason held, he could be a 22-7 guy, 22-8 guy. Well, last night was his best game of the season. And he did 26-8. I believe, he is not really coming anywhere close to those numbers. Now, he's been impactful. He's blocking shots. He's scoring a reasonable amount of points. But he's certainly not somebody who has proven to be assertive enough in getting his own to take some sort of massive statistical leap. Right now, he's averaging just shy of 15 points a game and six rebounds. And he's shooting a pretty miserable 39% from the floor albeit he is largely a three-point gunner. He took 11 attempts last night, made four of them. So it's not as if he's the type of big man who plays right at the rim, but still, you can't shoot 39% and win most improved player. So I put too much stock in the preseason. I'm going to say it. I do love Jaron Jackson Jr. I do love his game. I'm hoping that they continue to utilize him as a center. It was nice seeing him. Stuff Rudy Gobert last night, put the ball right back off of Gobert's face, it then careened out of bounds, went to the Grizzlies, who ended up winning the game on a three-pointer by Jaron Jackson Jr. But let's not sugarcoat this. Me picking him as a guy to win most improved player, it was clearly buoyed by the fact that I like him personally. I'm a bit of a fan. I was letting my biases influence my picks because he is not going to make the statistical jump necessary to win that award. I just don't see it happening, and I'm saying that a quarter of the season in. Things could change, sure, but do I think they will? No. The most improved player odds seem to be way off because the guys who are playing fantastic and doing unexpected things are not the guys who sat at the top of the Vegas odds. Michael Porter Jr. was the odds-on favorite to win most improved player. This was a guy who increased his scoring average nearly 10 points a game last year, hovered around 20 points a game. His second half of the season was absolutely unbelievable as he shot high percentages, proved to be one of the most capable stretch big men in the league, hitting threes off kickouts. I'm talking about set shot threes at an elite, hyper elite rate. This year, in the limited action he saw, I believe only eight or nine games before he's been shut down with back issues, which could shut him down for the year. They're trying alternative treatments. Right now, he's away from the Denver Nuggets in Florida, meeting with second opinion specialists to try to see if a third procedure, he had one in college, one his rookie year, and this would be a third, if that's avoidable. As soon as he gets that procedure, he's shut down for an extended period of time. And the Nuggets have not been done any favors by the injury gods, because they're already without Jamal Murray. Now, they're a fairly deep team, but you can't be without Murray, Porter Jr., to say nothing of the financial ramifications. We'll circle back to that. But reigning league MVP, Jokic, the Nuggets have lost their last four games in a row. They're playing 500 basketball. That puts them in the same range as teams like Portland, Portland the Lakers, the Timberwolves, who they themselves are on a four-game win streak. They have put themselves into the playoff conversation, but behind some excellent play from Carl Anthony Towns, some huge contributions from Patrick Beverly, the kind of veteran presence that they haven't had in past seasons. However, back to the Nuggets, when Jokic is back, Jokic changes a lot of things. They could find themselves climbing up the rankings. But the teams who have been making big moves the same teams we've seen all season, the Golden State Warriors and the Phoenix Suns, look head and shoulders above the rest of the Western Conference. The Warriors have won nine of their last ten. They're on a four-game win streak. They've lost to the Hornets, and that was an overtime game. They could very easily be 16-1 at this point. And in one quarter, they held the Cavs to eight points, while Steph Curry alone scored 20. One person. Double up the entire output of the opposing team on the Warriors. And Jordan Poole had a huge game the other night, going for over 30 points, seven three-pointers, eight three-pointers, somewhere in that neighborhood. And he certainly has been a welcome replacement for Klay Thompson in this period where he's down. And Klay Thompson, he should be back any time now. The team that's already, hands down, the best team in the NBA record-wise and. Advanced analytics-wise, in terms of offensive rating, defensive rating, they're going to add Clay Thompson to that mix. And as the season goes along, and Moody and Kuminga, James Wiseman, they get reintegrated. That is a deep team. You have a lot of these squads that it feels more like they're holding on. The Lakers, the Nuggets, even the Clippers to some extent. Now the Clippers have been playing good basketball. They've won seven of the last ten. They've climbed up right around the four seed. All George playing phenomenal basketball, but some of these teams down towards the bottom, it's tenuous. You can't sustain injuries to your stars that last for any significant period of time without putting your position in the playoffs in a precarious spot. The Lakers were expected to be the best team in the West, according to Vegas. Now, I was skeptical of that to begin with, just because I've witnessed nearly 20 years of LeBron basketball, and the regular season is simply Not a priority to him. That coupled with the fact that he's an older player, we knew he'd miss some games. It was giving a lot of credit to Westbrook, where we've seen it takes Westbrook time. He shook off a bad start in Houston. He shook off a bad start in Washington to play some stretches of pretty solid basketball. But he was doing that where he wasn't put alongside two players who, not even arguably really, they're just much better players and should be prioritized much higher. Whereas in Washington, He had carte blanche to do basically whatever he wanted. And in Houston, he had Harden there. It was one inefficient guy next to a second guy who is efficient, but with the help of the referees. We see how much harder it's been for Harden this year without the constant rewards of going to the line, which is another story. We touched on it in the F&A podcast. We've touched on it on Fear the Fro. Adam joined me on that podcast, but... That is changing the dynamic of what some of these guys who lived at the line are capable of doing this season. So in the early part of this season, we have seen the Suns and the Warriors race out of the gate. Teams that have continuity and long-term pieces who have been in play for a long time, consistent coaching. Meanwhile, the teams that are shaking up their roster, the Lakers by choice, the Denver Nuggets not by choice, mainly due to injuries. And even the Portland Trailblazers, they're starting to get some momentum. But they started out pretty rough. Now they've won a few in a row. But the real story in the West is that while we're witnessing a lot of parity and a lot of fairly well-balanced teams who are going to be fighting it out all year for the playoffs, we are also perhaps witnessing the worst team we have ever seen in the history of the NBA. And that is the Houston Rockets. Now, nobody expected the Rockets to be good. That was clear. but I think everybody expected more than we're seeing right now. Because coming into this season, after losing Harden when he forced his way out, it's tough to win any scenario like that. But what the Rockets did manage to do was to secure a top three pick, which they used to draft Jalen Green, who is arguably the most dynamic offensive talent in the draft. I mean, we're seeing some good play from other people, but in terms of sheer skill set and the ceiling, I still think Jalen Green possesses the highest upside he was the guy I expected to win rookie of the year and I'm happy that I can say I appear to be wrong there because Evan Mobley and Scotty Barnes are next level rookies and Evan Mobley's impact defensively while still being a formidable offensive weapon as a pick and roll and lob threat who who will grow into more range and more diversity offensively but still a guy doing 15 and 8 as a rookie who is playing on a top 10 defense and kind of anchoring the thing, along with Jared Allen, he certainly appears to be the favorite there. But let's not go down this Cavs wormhole. Let's keep it to how bad the Houston Rockets are for a moment. Just to put this into context, during the entirety of the NBA, there have only been two teams in a season greater than 60 games who have won less than 10 games. One of those was the Charlotte Bobcats in 2012, and the other was the Philadelphia 76ers in 1973. Now, the Philadelphia 76ers in 2016, the process Sixers, they came close. They went 10 and 72, but they got those double digit victories. As it stands right now, the Rockets, who have lost 15 games in a row, they are 1 and 16. The high point of their season was 1 and 1. It's been all downhill. Without interruption since then, they are on pace to win at most five games. Everything that people hoped to see this season so far has come out of the gates pretty horribly. Kevin Porter Jr., this is a guy who last year scored 50 points in a game, one of only four people to do it at age 20 or younger. In 23 games, starting for the Rockets, averaged 17 points and six assists. Now his efficiency wasn't otherworldly. Only shot 31% from three, shot 73% from the free throw line. But for a second-year player, it's honestly not that bad. The most distressing signs, well, the turnovers. He was averaging three and a half turnovers a game. But certainly, as a 20-year-old in a brand new environment who got thrown into the fire the moment you arrived, everybody expected a leap, including Vegas who had him in the top 5 in terms of odds for winning most improved player. Well, to this point, Kevin Porter Jr is playing objectively the worst basketball of his young career. Still plenty of time to turn it around. I don't want to seem like the sky is falling. This is just a snapshot of a moment in time. But Kevin Porter Jr is shooting 30% from 3, 36% from the floor, and the worst part, he's third in the league In turnovers, trailing only Russell Westbrook and James Harden. Up from last year, his scoring's down from last year, and he's shooting worse across the board. This is a man who's been forced into being the primary playmaker without a veteran steady hand in terms of John Wall, somebody to show him how to lead, and, well, he's drowning. Jalen Green is drowning right alongside of him, in a sense, because while Jalen Green, certainly still a productive player, Still a tremendous talent, only 19 years old, but he's shooting terribly 37% from the floor, 27% from three point land, and he's averaging 14 points a game, which is respectable, but it's coming in a truly atrocious, inefficient way. The player suffering the most from the unreliable backcourt play is undoubtedly Christian Wood, who last year was flirting with all star level play, averaging 21 and 10, and he was the one guy who I think most people expected big things from because while nobody really believes that he'll be a long-term piece on the Rockets just due to his age versus the age of the core, Christian Wood is a ready-to-win-now player, 26 years old. He's got a year left on his deal after this, and certainly he earns the salary that he makes, which is roughly $17 million a season. Very tradable piece. Very integral piece for a team looking to win right now. And the Rockets, not really being in that position, may choose to prioritize Shen Goon and Kenyon Martin Jr. and Jay Sean Tate. They have a lot of youth. If they could get back something decent in a trade that would help them in a construction that's more focused on the future. But unfortunately, for Christian Wood, the lack of reliable leadership and, well, just intelligent basketball play in the backcourt is. Contributed to a precipitous decline in his play. This is a guy who last year was doing 21 and 10. Well, this season, 16 and 11. He's rebounding more, but he's scoring less, and he's doing it far less efficiently. This was a man who was serviceable from the free throw line. He has fallen off a cliff there, barely shooting over 50% from the stripe, and not even shooting 45% from the floor. A big step backwards to begin this season in terms of efficiency and play from Wood, he's still very tradable. I think most people will give him a pass. I don't know what people expect when you have chuckers like Jalen Green and even Kevin Porter Jr. Not giving him the touches, he should probably command in a team as devoid of talent as this year's iteration of the Houston Rockets. So the Rockets would be the biggest disappointment so far. I think perhaps the biggest victory so far has to be Miles Bridges in Charlotte. Now, Charlotte is somewhere in the middle of the pack in the East at the moment, but they have been playing better basketball as of late. They're 11-8. They currently sit as the fifth seed. If the playoffs were to start today, they would be squaring off against the Washington Wizards, another team doing far better than people expected, and a huge part of that reason is because the chemistry that exists between LaMelo Ball and Miles Bridges... Now, we got glimpses of this last season. Gordon Hayward went down, and Miles Bridges dramatically improved. The beginning of the season, up until about March, he averaged about 10 points with 6 or 7 rebounds. Serviceable numbers. And he was doing it fairly efficiently. I mean, he shot 40% from three-point land last year. But when it really turned around for him, when it really clicked was in April. He averaged nearly 20-7. and He shot a blistering. Now, over 16 games in April last year to close out the season, he shot 47% from three. What is amazing about the leap that Miles Bridges has taken, he has delivered. He's averaging 21, seven rebounds, three assists, and he's scoring. I mean, he's the definitive second option on that Hornets team. But what's really impressive is he's managed to leap From 13 points a game to 21 points a game, he's added eight points to his average, and he's done it while shooting much less efficiently thus far. Only 45% from the floor, only 32% from the three, and this is a guy who last year was 50, 40, nearly 90. 50, 40, 87. So that's a rare breed that can do that, especially at age 22. Now he's regressed slightly. But while it may seem odd that I'm arguing that as a positive, the fact that he's able to increase his numbers as dramatically as he has, while not even being at his level of efficiency that we've seen in the past, makes you think that his ceiling could be even higher. And so he's regressed somewhat in efficiency, but he's still a very solid player who I think at this point you would have to say is the front runner for most improved player. I do, however, have a dark horse to watch, and this is a guy who I don't expect to win because, quite frankly, he's on a terrible team, and I think people will somewhat discount the number jump that he's making this season due to the opportunity void that exists in Orlando. But Cole Anthony has made a massive jump from his first-year numbers to his sophomore season numbers, and I think it's worth looking at. Last year, Cole Anthony came in A rookie, Greg Anthony's son, out of North Carolina, was a middle-of-the-first-round draft choice by the Orlando Magic. He shot a lot, and he did it at, well, terrible efficiency. He shot less than 40% from the field. He shot less than 34% from three. That is not passable numbers if you're a high-usage guard in the NBA. What was impressive about Cole Anthony at times last year, you'd look at the lines and you'd see things like, oh, 12 points seven rebounds, six assists. And it would make you wonder if the guy could put it all together. He seems like the type of player who could be, well, flirting with a triple-double night in and night out. Well, year two, Cole Anthony has come back. And while he's still a fairly low percentage shooter, only shooting 42% from the field, that increase alone and shooting nearly 37% from three. So he's He's made improvements in both those categories. This second-year player is now averaging 20 points, 7 rebounds, and 6 assists, which is pretty damn impressive, regardless of the situation that he's in in Orlando. Now, Markel Fultz will eventually come back. Despite Markel Fultz signing that contract extension for $80 million over five years, I believe, he's there to stay. But that's not really even must-start money in today's NBA. When Isaac comes back, I expect Isaac to start. Wendell Carter Jr. and Mo Bamba, one of those two will be relegated to the bench. With Cole Anthony there, I don't know that you have to rush to start Fultz. You have Suggs, you have Cole Anthony, you have R.J. Hampton, Gary Harris could be in there. Cole Anthony, if he can sustain these numbers, he certainly will be in the discussion for most improved player. Miles Bridges on a winning Hornets team probably has the edge at this point. Other front runners at this point, would have to be DeJounte Murray. Tyler Hero in Miami has taken a massive leap from what was a disappointing kind of fall-off season last year. Well, this year, he's delivering with a vengeance. And he was huge during this stretch of games where Jimmy Butler was out. On the year, he's averaging 22 points a game, and he's doing it at the best percentage we've seen. He's now a 40% three-point shooter. Nearly six rebounds a game, four assists. That's a well-rounded stat line. DeJounte Murray has always been accounting stats monster. DeRozan out of the way. Murray is now the lead guy on that team. 18 points a game, eight rebounds, eight assists, over two steals a game. The struggle for him is not the numbers. He's incredible. But last season, he was filling the stat sheet even then. 16 points, seven rebounds, five assists. So he's made an improvement. But when you look at some of the dramatic improvements we've seen from these other guys, Miles Bridges, eight points a game. Tyler Hero six points a game cole anthony seven points a game it's a tight race but all those guys definitely have jumped out of the gates early with very impressive starts so another guy that i expected a big leap from made the news the other day when he got in a dust-up with lebron james and that is isaiah stewart a man who hails from near my hometown rochester new york and once mason plumley went down for an injury towards the end of the year and when they started to just rest guys because they were deep into the tank at that point, Isaiah Stewart blew up. He was regularly putting up double-doubles and seemed like the type of strong hustle player that would carve out a starting center spot. The offseason proved that out as Plumlee was moved to the Hornets, and Isaiah Stewart ascended as a 20-year-old to become the starting center for a terrible team, the Detroit Pistons, but one with a bright future because Cade Cunningham looks good. I like him. I like Bay. I like a lot of the pieces, and I even thought the Olenek ad was a sneaky good ad. But against the Lakers, everybody's seen the highlight. LeBron hits him in the face. He loses his mind. He's leaking from over the eye, bleeding. Doesn't leave the court in a timely manner. Gets a two-game suspension. LeBron gets a one-game suspension. He had every right to be upset. But the way that he reacted, straight insanity. The people who are crushing LeBron and saying, well, this is the double standard that exists in the NBA. LeBron got one game for punching him in the face, and Isaiah Stewart got two. Stewart didn't get two games for being punched in the face. That's a ridiculous way to frame this narrative to just discredit LeBron or to make it like he's getting preferential treatment here. Neither of them probably would have been suspended if not for Isaiah Stewart losing his goddamn mind. I don't think LeBron should have even got one game. He didn't escalate that situation. He hit Stewart. He should have been tossed from that game. That should have been the end of it. But because of how Stewart reacted and how much attention came to it, it would be a terrible look to suspend one guy who was bleeding and give nothing for the other guy. So LeBron gets a token game here. It took a team that actually needs wins in the Lakers, and it put them shorthanded going into tonight's game, whereas the Pistons, they don't really have anything to play for. Whenever you're tossing civilian-type people, the security guys, the handlers on the floor, you've created a new incident. It's no longer even about the basketball play that started it, or the non-basketball play, if you want to call it that, because certainly that fist to the face drew blood, and I have no bones about saying, okay, the result of that means LeBron should be run for that game. So I love Stewart as a player. One of my favorite nicknames in basketball, Beef Stew, but I don't see why LeBron got suspended. In this situation, I don't think either guy should have, but because Stewart couldn't control his temper, it's having more than one game impact on the Lakers, who it actually matters for, as opposed to the Pistons, who two games without Stewart is probably two more losses regardless. The other issue I wanted to touch on was one that's continued throughout the season. It's quieted considerably. The Philadelphia 76ers, still unresolved, is their situation with Ben Simmons, who continues to be away from the team with this trade standoff slash mental illness thing, but it is quite the development that over the last seven games, without Embiid and Simmons, Tyrese Maxey, the second-year player out of Kentucky, has taken the next step. And the funny part of that is that he shares the same agent as Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons' leverage decreases with every additional game that Tyrese Maxey plays, because he's proving to be a more than serviceable replacement for Ben Simmons, averaging 24 points a game. I guess the reason I'm discounting him somewhat is he's doing this. Yes, he's increased his scoring nearly 10 points a game during this seven-game stretch, but that won't sustain over the course of an entire season, and he's doing a lot of this without Embiid in the lineup. When Embiid's back in the lineup his usage is going to go way down. But in this period where they're shorthanded, Maxie is showing all of the things that has made him an untouchable in the eyes of Daryl Morey. And in the process, he's cutting the legs out from underneath another clutch client in Ben Simmons. So we're no closer to a resolution with Simmons, but the Sixers have to feel pretty good seeing Maxie play the way that he has during this stretch. I don't know how Rich Paul would feel because on one hand, Your one client is benefiting quite immensely from this standoff, but it's not the one who you're trying to get the best result for. That guy is seemingly losing his shirt during all this and having to pretend to be crazy in hopes of retaining any of the salary that he would otherwise be fined. In the leap from year one to year two, Tyrese Maxey has gone from last season, just a modest eight points a game to this season. Right now, 19 points a game. And like I said, over this last seven, nearly 24 points a game. He's a very good three-point shooter, shooting 40% from the floor, and he does it on high efficiency. So, another breakout candidate for most improved player. This has been the Broken Jumper Podcast. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. I am Bob Schmidt, the voice of AM570 LA Sports. You can follow me at Broken Jumper Pod, And check out my other podcast, Fear the Fro. Available anywhere you get your podcasts. Listen, rate, subscribe. I appreciate it. We'll be back with another episode of Broken Jumper soon. That's it. No more Broken Jumper. No. No. Download past episodes you missed and like and subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts. Go to the iHeartRadio app. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Broken Jumper. And tune in weekly for more NBA coverage.